preaching this morning will be taken from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he has told you. Well, good morning. I want to join with Bradley in welcoming you to worship here at Savannah this morning. We're glad that you're here. Hope that you'll stick around afterwards and and get to know everyone if you're visiting. We're going to begin a little bit differently this morning. We're going to begin with prayer, and I want to give you just a little bit of background on that. Some of you may be familiar uh, with the website Sunday is Coming. Uh, Jeff Abrams over in Tuscumbia, Alabama, he is a preacher at the Tuscumbia Church, but he's also done mission work in Ukraine for many years. And one of the things that he's trying to do is he's trying to raise awareness for the fact that very often we will pray and we'll be very thankful for our freedom. The idea that when we worship, we're free to do that. But today, even as we worship in freedom, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are actually being persecuted simply because they're Christians. And so the website is Sunday is Coming, and he's trying to raise awareness for places like the Ukraine, places like Nigeria. In fact, one of the videos posted on the site is done by Brother Steve Worley. Uh, Places like Kenya, uh, anywhere where ISIS is persecuting Christians. And so his plea was for preachers around the country today to begin in prayer praying for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, and so we want to honor that request today. Bow with me in prayer right now. God, we humbly bow before you this morning, and we're thankful for freedom that we have here. We pray that that will always be protected, and we pray that we'll never take it for granted. But we also pray today with an awareness that we have brothers and sisters here on this planet, here on this world, who because they are following you and because they have, have sworn their allegiance to your son, that, that they're persecuted today. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and in Nigeria and places like Kenya and other places where ISIS is harming those who are Christians. We pray for them. We pray for their faith. We pray that they'll continue to have courage. And we also pray today for those who are persecuting them because we know they have souls. We pray that something may happen that would turn them from darkness to light so that in that day when they stand in front of you in judgment, hopefully they will be right with you. Again, we're so thankful for all that you've done. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful that we can talk about him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Where would we be without Him? The obituary might have sounded something like this. Jesus Christ, 33 of Nazareth, died Friday on Mount Calvary, also known as Golgotha, the place of the skull. Betrayed by the Apostle Judas, Jesus was crucified by the Romans by order of the ruler Pontius Pilate. The causes of death were crucifixion, extreme exhaustion, severe torture, and loss of blood. Jesus Christ, a descendant of Abraham, was a member of the house of David. He was the son of the late Joseph, a carpenter of Nazareth, and Mary, his devoted mother. Jesus was born in a stable in the city of Bethlehem, Judea. He survived by his mother Mary, his faithful apostles, numerous disciples, and many other followers. Jesus was self-educated and spent most of his adult life working as a teacher. Jesus also occasionally worked as a medical doctor as it is reported that he healed many people. Up until the time of his death, Jesus was teaching and sharing the good news, healing the sick, touching the lonely, feeding the hungry, and helping the poor. Jesus was most noted for telling parables about his Father's kingdom and performing miracles such as feeding over 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish and healing a man who was born blind. On the day before his death, he held a last supper celebrating the Passover feast at which he foretold his death. The body was quickly buried in a stone grave which was donated by Joseph of Arimathea, a loyal friend of the family. By order of Pontius Pilate, a boulder was rolled in front of the tomb. Roman soldiers were put on guard. In lieu of flowers, it is requested that everyone try to live as Jesus did. Donations may be sent to anyone in need. And that is from If Jesus Had an Obituary, Author Unknown. When we start to think about the death and the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It can be argued that no other event in history changed the future state of man as this event did. It not only changes the future, it also changes how we live today. One preacher once called this a watershed historical event. Some things in life have a way of impacting us. And they they happen and, and they're the kind of things that happen and no matter where you were when they happened, you'll always remember where you were and you'll remember what you were doing. Uh, if you're old enough, you remember the day that JFK was assassinated, 1963, November. I wasn't quite here yet. I've, I've been to the museum and I've relived it through walking through there. But if you were alive, you remember what you were up to that day. And then maybe a few years later, if you're old enough, you remember where you were that day that Neil Armstrong took that first step out onto the moon. Because we didn't really know what was going to happen. So you'll remember where you were as you watched that. And then you may remember where you were the day that the other king passed away, Elvis. We were in a hotel room. We were on vacation, my whole family. The, I was young at the time, but I remember sitting in that hotel room and we were watching all the coverage as they talked about Elvis having passed away. You may remember where you were the day the OJ verdict was read in the 90s because that was the first time we'd kind of watched something happen live on TV and then we watched the, the whole trial live on TV and we hadn't done that much before and so we were all riveted and so on the day they read the verdict, if you were around, you remember where you were when that happened. And then maybe in most recent memory, back in 2001, you remember where you were the day those Twin Towers fell. 
because it's a day that changed our future and our current state in, in many, many ways. And so things like that happen, and then we always remember, and yet, no matter how these kinds of events may be forever fixed in our minds, Jesus willingly going to that cross easily eclipses any of these other events. Because that event has eternal importance. And yet I'd ask you this, are we moved by Jesus? And are we moved by the cross the way that we ought to be? Sometimes as we think about folks who have maybe given all in defense of our country, those who have served in our military, sometimes we will shed tears, and rightfully so, because of the sacrifices that they've made to protect our freedom. But, but my question would be, in light of what Jesus did, when is the last time we actually shed tears because of His sacrifice? Because of what He gave up, both for our freedom and for our protection spiritually. See, every aspect of Jesus ought to be important to us, and it's all culminated in His willingness to go to that cross. And so in the few minutes that we have together today, we simply want to spend a few minutes talking about and thinking about and being thankful for asking the question, where would we be without Him? We want to magnify Him this morning. We want to think about all of the implications or many of the implications that should motivate us to want to obey Him and to want to serve Him, to live our lives in the way that He'd want them lived. And so as we begin to think about Him this morning, I want us to think about for a few minutes His sinless life. And I'll say this, we're going to do a lot of in the next few minutes. If you've got your tablet or your Bible or whatever you're using, we're, we're going to move quickly, and, but we're going to do a lot of Scripture today. But in Hebrews chapter 4, as we talk about His sinless life, beginning in verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus who willingly went to the cross, Jesus, He understands what it's like for us to live in 2015. He understands what it's like for us to live in the world today. Tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. In going to the mirror and in self-examining, what tempts you the most? Are you ever tempted to lust? Are you ever tempted to lie? Maybe just a little one to kind of get you out of something. Are you ever tempted to gossip? Uh, is stuff the great tempter? Are you ever tempted just to give up, to say enough's enough? I can't, living a Christian life is too hard. See, what Hebrews 4 is trying to convey to us is that, that Jesus, He understands it all. Now, First John chapter 2, it's summed everything we go through in, into three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. But we serve a Savior who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reminds us that God, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that he might, we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 
In, in other words, Jesus, His sinless life, allowed Him to be sin on our behalf. And that's great news. Because without Him, my life would be required for my sin. But it's not that way now. And so we have Jesus. He can relate to the idea that we're tempted, but He doesn't relate to the sin. In, in other words... He can sympathize and He can empathize because He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Isn't it amazing that Jesus never awoke to greet a new day with regret about what happened the evening before? And see, sometimes that's the scenario that we live out. Jesus never awoke to a new day and, and had thoughts, well, I wish I'd honored my commitment to God last night, or I, I wish I'd treated my, my spouse or my family, I wish I'd treated them better yesterday, or I wish I'd respected her, I wish I'd respected myself. Jesus never awoke having to think those thoughts because He was tempted, yet He knew no sin. Where would we be without His obedient sacrifice? There in Philippians chapter 2, as, as, Paul, as Paul teaches about selflessness, he, he reminds the Philippians of the magnitude of Jesus and His obedience. Think about chapter 2. He says, "...have this attitude," verse 5, "...in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself..." Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of sin, which affects all of us, his obedient sacrifice provides the opportunity for righteousness. I love what Romans 5 has to say, and we're going to look at several things out of Romans 5, but Romans 5 verse 19 says, So then as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous." Where would we be without His obedient sacrifice? Without it being made righteous would, would be impossible for us. And then finally, where would we be without His gift of righteousness? His sinless life allowed Him to be the obedient sacrifice which produced this gift of righteousness. Consider our plight. Death was reigning. We talked about it last Sunday. The idea that everyone's sick and that's where we are without Him. We all have this disease. It will require our lives of us spiritually. We're all sick. But then Jesus arrives. A Savior's needed. He brings an abundance of grace. He brings us the gift of righteousness. Romans chapter 5 verse 17, for if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more than those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. In other words, the good news is Jesus came along and He gives me something that I could not go out and earn on my own. And that's good news this morning. And so we magnify Him thinking about asking the question, where would we be without Him? And you understand the answer. The answer is we would be dying. 
What would we stand to lose were it not for Him? In his book, Influence, author Robert Cialdini, he he talks about the psychology of decision-making. In other words, what is it within a person that will cause them to take action? And so, a study was done where some home energy experts were going door to door and they'd go and they'd knock on a person's door and they'd offer them a free survey. We want to see how efficient your home energy is. And then they would offer them some solutions and in half of the cases they would tell people what they stood to gain by taking action. But in the other half of the cases, they talked to people in terms of what they would lose. So in in half the cases, they said, okay, every day, if you do these things, you're going to have 75 cents more in your bank account if you'll do these things. But in the other half of the cases, they would talk about loss. They would talk about, okay, that sucking sound you hear, it's not just air going out the window, it's actually money leaving your bank account. And and, And overwhelmingly, people responded better when they started thinking in terms of what they stood to lose. And so what do we stand to lose without Him? Well, we've got to think in terms of the idea that without Him, we'd be enslaved. And that's a tough concept for us. We, we live in the United States of America. We, we live in a free country. It, we just don't identify well with the idea of being enslaved. And In many ways, our thinking may be similar to what Jesus was dealing with in John 8 when He's dealing with the Jews. Because there in John 8, beginning in verse 31, He has to have this discussion about freedom and real freedom and enslavement and and what all that means. Verse 31, He says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed Him, If you continue in My Word, then you truly are disciples of Mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Future tense. Well, if somebody tells you you will be free, what they're saying is you're not free now. And they took offense to that. Their answer is, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And you remember Jesus' answers in verse 34. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, nor does the son remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Without Him, I'm enslaved. He's the key to real freedom. His audience on that day, they didn't have yet what we have in Romans chapter 5, some of what we've already read. Verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one... Many will be made righteous. If I'm righteous, I'm free. How do we not forget that without Him, no matter how wonderful our lives may be here in this place and in this country and in this time, no matter how great they may be, without Him, we're still enslaved. The other thing that we've got to notice here is that life actually would be worthless If a person loses his or her soul, everything about life has been meaningless and has been worthless. And again, for us, sometimes that's a tough one because life is pretty full and life is pretty good. And Jesus talked about that in Mark chapter 8. The question is asked, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? 
For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So you can pick that passage up and you can set it right down in 2015. And it, and it sounds a lot like where we live today, doesn't it? And so again, when we go to the mirror and when we start self-examining, the question Philip's got to ask himself is, okay, what might be worth exchanging for my soul? Would it be a relationship? A relationship that maybe God has defined as sinful. Would I put my soul on the line for that? Would it be that uh, a situation where maybe I'm going to elevate my family above my relationship with God? Would that be worth putting my soul at risk for? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's the love of money or the love of stuff. Is there anything... And do you notice what Jesus did here in Mark chapter 8? He didn't have to do a laundry list. You know how He summed it up? He said, whoever is ashamed of me. And that's tough because most of us, if we're interviewed, we're not ashamed of Jesus and we'd never say we were ashamed of Jesus. But sometimes I still have trouble with my value system. And Jesus says, if you can't get your value system right, it's the same as being ashamed of me. And that's convicting for me. It's, it's, it's Philip's got to work on some things. Because I don't want to be accused of being ashamed of my Savior. Without Him, life truly would be worthless. And so in the end, how lost I would be. You remember Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. My sin problem creates a separation between me and my God. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is His ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face so that He does not hear. See, when we're separated, I'm outside of reconciliation. I'm outside of a harmonious relationship with Him. To be separated from God is to be lost. We talked about in our class this morning, we talked about Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Without Jesus, that's where I'm stuck. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, without Jesus, there is no justification. Why? Justification, that process by which one is declared not guilty, was made possible through Him. After all, I was guilty. Without Jesus, there's no righteousness. Why? Righteousness was made possible through Him. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf, on your behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Without Him, how lost I would be. But that's not where we want to leave this morning. As we conclude, see, there's good news in Savannah, Tennessee today. Because with Jesus, thank God, I'm saved. I'm saved because His sinless life allowed Him to be the only sacrifice that was suitable to atone for my sin. He's the only person to have ever walked the face of this earth who could have gone to the cross for me and made a difference there. No one else could have done that. I'm saved because His sacrifice allowed justification and righteousness in spite of the fact that, that what I deserved was death. I'm saved because in obedience to Him, I believed and I repented of my sin. I confessed His name and I was baptized into Him for the remission of my sins. Romans 6 talks about the idea that I was conformed to His death. Not my physical death, but by putting to death 
that sinful past? And so the big question becomes, do you know Him today? Do I know Him today? I'll leave you in Romans chapter 5. It's a good summary of all that we've talked about. And you may remember last week we went to Romans 5 and we read the first five verses. Today I want you to notice 6 through 11 as we finish up. Verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless, and helpless is a word that should paint a big picture for us, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God. There's our word again. We leap for joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received the reconciliation. Again, I ask the question, do you know Him today? And I want you to notice a bit of a comparison here. We talked about some places we'd be without Him. Without Him, I'd be helpless. Without Him, I'm ungodly. Without Him, I'm still a lost sinner. Without Him, I'm I'm classified as an enemy. But with Him... I'm justified. I've been declared not guilty. It's just as if I'd never done all of those things. I'm justified. I'm saved from the wrath of God. I'm reconciled. I've been brought back into a harmonious relationship with Him. And I exult. I leap for joy in my salvation. Note though that whether you're with Him or without Him today, either way you're loved. Verse 8 is very significant. Christ demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us either way. The question is, which would you rather be? Would you rather be with Him or without Him? Would you rather be hopeful or would you rather be hopeless? He doesn't want you to turn Him away. In John 12, Jesus is emotionally upset because there are people who've believed in Him, but they're in leadership positions, and they're afraid of losing their position, and they're afraid of what people are going to say about them, and they won't confess Him. And He gets very emotional in John chapter 12. I would challenge you to read that. See, a relationship with Jesus, it's the reason for life. Are you with Him? Are you without Him? That's the real question. And as we all self-examine, I believe you know the answer in your life. We could ask it this way. We could bring some chairs to the stage this morning. And we could say that each one of these chairs represents a different place. I could sit down in the chair and I could say, I know that I'm saved, I know that I'm right with God, I know that if anything happens to me today, I know for a fact that I'm on my way to heaven. You might be at a place this morning where you have to sit down in a chair and you say, when I go to the mirror, I know because of the way I live in my life, I know I've not been very serious about a relationship with God. I know that if my life were required of me today, I know I would have to sit down in that chair that says I'm not right with Him. But then there's that middle chair. That chair where I 
I'm trying to do the right thing and I kind of hope that I'm saved and I'm not really sure and, and all those sorts of things. Maybe that's the chair that you'd want to sit in this morning. Some of you are way ahead of me though. Because you know this screen doesn't represent reality. There's a problem with what I've put on the screen. Because the truth is, well, the truth is we're ready to be done, I know. See, the truth is there are only two chairs. There's not a third chair. And what I want to try to convince us all of as we finish, God doesn't want us to be unsure. God didn't send a son to die on a cross and to give his life for us that we had to walk through life wringing our hands wondering if we're saved or not, wondering if we're right with him. God wants us to be assured. God wants us to know. And so today I would just challenge you, if you're unsure in any way, Ask some questions. Ask me. Ask, ask one of the elders. Ask us. Get with somebody here. Start getting your questions answered because God wants you to know. And if you're outside of a right, right relationship with Him today, start thinking in terms of, okay, what do I need to change in my life to be right with God? Because there's nothing, nothing more important. Dustin's going to, or excuse me, Bradley's going to lead us in Jesus is Lord as we stand in just a moment. And if you have a need in your life today, if there's something amiss, if you need the prayers of your church family, let that be known. If you're ready to obey Christ and be, to share in His death, be baptized into Him, let that be known today. We'd love to assist you while we stand and while we sing.